0: Welcome from the City of Entertainment. You are listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle Lafon. The only show that really gets personal with the stars. Partnered with Casino Player Magazine, a monthly gaming lifestyle publication... With over 88,000 paid subscribers nationally, which now features LaFong syndicated columns and backstage videotaped interviews online. Our website is lasvegasbackstagetalk.com, where the show is currently streaming live. Now please welcome your host, comedian Michelle (laughs) LaFong.
1: Tonight
2: Angeles.
3: Hey, how are you, Burton Cummings?
2: Just fine, thank you.
3: Boy, I'm so honored here. You are show business. Uh, you're a legend. Oh I, my
2: goodness. Yes. Please, please. I'm just, I'm, I'm one of the lucky guys that, uh, you know, <laughs> one of the lucky ones that had some records. And the, the really lucky thing is that the rec- those records have never gone away.
3: Well, let me tell you something. I am a true fan. I thank grew you, thank up you. I grew up listening to your music and I still have the order of the songs on the album in my head. Oh my
2: goodness. Yes. Wow. Thank you. Bless your heart. That's uh, that's a real fan. <laughs> it, it
3: is. It is. And uh, you you wrote some of these songs. Most
2: of them actually. Yes. Most of them. These eyes and laughing and uh no time American woman. I mean, Most of the big ones I Either wrote or co-wrote. Yeah.
3: Wow. I didn't know that you co-wrote "American Woman" too. I, I didn't oh yeah, that know that. Yeah, that was
2: actually we we jammed that on stage one night, and uh, all those all those lyrics came out of my head just at a you know one of those stream of consciousness moments, just spur of the moment. It was a very happy accident that night.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Don't you love when that happens? Oh,
2: absolutely, yeah.
3: You know, I started in this business as a musician, and I used to play the drums to your songs Oh, my goodness. Yeah, oh, there you go. There
2: are not many female drummers around, really.
3: No, no, there they aren't a whole lot. And the funny thing is, you know, as I was going along, I was like, this is too, the music business is the hardest business. Business in the world. I mean, I I give you so much credit for... Oh, thank you. Yes. Well, you
2: need need luck, you know, you need a lot of drive, uh, a lot of drive and ambition, and you need luck and timing, and, you know, the thing was, every time we would release a record, we would be kind of crossing our fingers, oh, geez, I hope the Beatles don't release a a record this week, you know, it's always... Yeah. A lot of it was depending on who else had a record out at the same time.
3: I can imagine, you know, it's funny, because I look at the music business today, and I think, well, you know, it's. It, I think it's much harder today than it was back then, because at least if you had a label behind you, but now you bring up something very interesting. You had to worry about things like, I hope the Beatles don't release an album today. Yeah, exactly, and, yeah. at the same
2: time, and also, too, there was... You know, uh, it's so different because today there are no record stores.
3: That's right. There
2: really aren't any record stores. I live in L.A., so I'm kind of blessed in that area because we have Amoeba here, which is the, the greatest record store in the free world. So I can find anything on CD or even the old vinyl stuff, you know, but most people in most cities, there really aren't any record stores left. So the Internet is about the only place to go to promote something new.
3: Interesting, interesting, because I grew up, I had a 1961 jukebox. Oh, wow. And yeah, and I still have your records in them. I still Yeah, and, and you know what? There's still, I didn't change them out. I never changed out, because you only have, a, the old jukeboxes, you only have a certain amount.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes there was only about 20, 20 records that could fit in there.
3: <laughs> yeah, luckily for me, I have like 80, but nonetheless, I'm such a music, uh, you know, fan that I, but all of the, the guess who, I mean, I kept them all in there. And a lot of them, those records actually came with the jukebox.
1: Wow. Yeah. and, and kind of a good deal.
3: It really was a good deal. And, <sighs> you know, and I really, if I had known that you had co-written A lot of those songs, or wrote those songs, I would have appreciated that music even more.
2: Well, I think, you know, one of the most important things is the singer. And a lot of people, you know, they know I sang the songs, but a lot of them aren't aren't aware of the fact that I wrote them. but as I say, very, very lucky and I've never uh, I've never taken it for granted, you know I know there are a lot of uh, a lot of tremendously talented people with a lot of abilities that uh, that just never made it.
3: Oh yeah. Absolutely. And you can
2: go to a lot of clubs here in Los Angeles and see tremendous players and singers, but they've really never crossed over. You know, they've never really made it, um, made a huge career for themselves. So, as far as the luck goes, you know, I, as I said earlier, I've never taken it for granted.
3: Well, I I think that. It wasn't so much the luck. I mean, I think luck, you need a certain amount of luck, of course. But to sustain the way that Burton Cummings has sustained, even without the guess who.
2: Well, I've been, you know, uh, the thing is, I've been doing some one-man shows lately. I just did a whole bunch of one-man shows on the East Coast about a month ago, and uh, I was thrilled with the response. People are more than willing to accept me now just alone at a piano, just a, 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 you know, piano and voice, and that's it. And I was getting thunderous applause and, and great reactions, so... It's been,
3: uh, Now, you sound amazed by that.
2: Well, I, I mean, it's been a long time. These Eyes is,
3: uh... It's a classic. Come These on. These
2: Eyes first came out in 1968. Well, that's 45 years ago. And yet, I still hear it on the radio quite a bit, you know? So, the songs, as I said, the songs have never gone away. And that's not always the case with It Records. If, uh... You know, I, I haven't heard a Strawberry Alarm Clock record for quite some time. Right. There are, there are certain, certain acts and certain types of songs that don't last the same.
3: So what do you make of that?
2: I, don't, I honestly don't know. Um, Randy and I, you know, Randy and I co-wrote a lot of things, and I think one of the reasons we got lucky and, and we got successful, um, we listened to so many different kinds of music, and I think the Guess Who was never pigeonholed into one style if you if you listen to some of the early albums it sounds like five or six different bands and i think maybe just the fact that we incessantly listened to music and we were constantly listening to new stuff and that influenced us and I think that helped the songwriting.
3: Who influenced you personally the most? Oh, I think my favorite guy.
2: I mean, everybody loved early Elvis. You know, I liked Elvis in the early days before he went into the army. Uh, When he came back and did those silly movies, I didn't like him anymore. But I loved Elvis at the beginning. I think the one guy that influenced me the most of all was Fats Domino. He was a he was a piano player that sang. He wrote all his own songs, and he had that great accent. You know, I found my trio, on Blueberry Hill. I was a little white kid in Winnipeg. You know, in the freezing, in the freezing snow of Winnipeg, listening to this accent from New Orleans, and it was all very, very fascinating to me, you know, very intriguing to me. I love Fats Domino. I like Jerry Lee Lewis a lot, too. The early... Piano players that sang. And then, of course, some great singers like Sam Cooke and Bobby Darren. Oh, yeah. Bobby Rydell as well, you know. Oh,
3: yeah. I, just, I opened for Bobby Rydell. I'm a comic now. I, I opened for him uh, last year, and he is just still, he was better than ever, frankly.
2: Oh, he, he had some tremendous records. Really tremendous records. We Got Love, Kissin' Time, Swinging School, Ding-a-ling. He had a great version of Volare. I mean, he was a—he was really a big influence on me, Bobby Raddell. And he's just a couple years older, so I—I I always, you know, when I was a teenager, I always said to myself, well, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could cut some records.
3: Wow! Yeah, maybe.
2: <laughs> wow! Well, so, and then it all
3: came true. Yeah, exactly. So, what is the beat-all end-all for Burton Cummings? I mean, you're going to be at the Orleans coming up again. Uh, I, I mean, like you're you're there January 17th and 18th. Yeah, um, next week. Yeah, next week exactly. But if if you're listening to this, it's not next week. It is. Uh, Not next week. (laughs) Well, whatever. It's the seventeenth and eighteenth. Yeah. It's January Uh, seventeenth and eighteenth. People come and see us these days.
2: They're 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 very very rarely disappointed because we have taken great lengths to sound just like the records. And even after all these years, people are telling me my vocals sound as good as ever. They just sound like the records. We do all the big songs. I'm not trying to shove a lot of new stuff down people's throats because I know why they're coming to see me.
3: Oh, that's great! I am so glad to hear that i you don't know how glad i am to hear that because i'm not going to mention names but I've been disappointed oh, going so to I. yeah I, huh. And and then I go and see somebody that
2: I've admired for years, and they're doing all new stuff. And then it comes to the big hit records, they throw them all into a medley. Yep. And do about four lines of each song. If, I don't like that. I we uh, I agree. people come to see us. I know what they're expecting, and we send them we send them home happy. We really do. Well, I must
3: say, I was on the web last night, and I was taking a look at your review and you have got five-star reviews everywhere. People are thrilled with Burton Cummings and they seem to really appreciate whatever it is you're doing, it doesn't didn't seem to matter. They just were saying, he's better every single time I see him.
2: Well, it's, uh, you know, we're, we don't use any gimmicks. We don't have dancers or lasers or pyrotechnics. Uh, we don't even dress up that fancy on stage. What we do have is a lot of songs that everybody knows, and I think we do justice to them when we do them
0: live.
3: And we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Don't go anywhere people.
0: We'll be right back, and you are listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle Lafong. Plus, we are streaming live at Las Vegas BackstageTalk.com every Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and all previous shows are archived at Las Vegas BackstageTalk.com. Please visit our
3: website.
4: When you walk into Dr. Gary Lee's Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic in Henderson, you'll love the design. Created as an elegant refuge of beauty, peacefulness, and tranquility. If cosmetic surgery is not right for you, then consider what Dr. Lee and the Horizon Ridge Wellness Center can do for you. Dr. Lee specializes in Botox cosmetic wrinkle filters spider veins laser skin technology anti-aging wellness and medical weight loss at horizon ridge wellness clinic we help you look your best by giving you the inner confidence and strength to feel your best and to project this to the world call today 702-938-0190 or on the web at www.hrwellness.net. The Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic.
3: Paradise Nail Bar is a new experience in service and atmosphere for full-service manicure and pedicure services. With two convenient Las Vegas locations, we've expanded to a new facility in Southeast Las Vegas, Eastern and Windmill, as well as in Summerlin. Come and enjoy our services at Paradise Nail Bar and Salon, the finest in services for your salon and spa needs. Offering full-service hair salon, manicure and pedicure, massages and spa. At Paradise Nail Bar, we also do many petty
4: parties for special occasions or any other reason you'd like. Have your party here with friends, beverages, and karaoke. Book now online 24-7
3: at paradisenailbar.com.
0: Welcome back, and here's more of Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong.
3: And we are back with Burton Cummings. How do you maintain your voice?
2: You know what? I think the the greatest thing a singer can do is sing all the time. So I use it a lot when I'm not touring. I sing sing every day at home. I'm still writing songs all the time. And I think the best thing a singer can do is is sing all the time. So I try and use it every day. That's what's kept me in shape, I think.
3: Has your range changed as you got um, older? Some of the, yeah, well,
2: a little bit. Of course, it, it would. It would be bound to change in over forty years. Uh, the, some of the high notes are a little harder to hit, but overall. Um People say I sound as good as ever, and that they do. to me is a great compliment. I always get so happy when I hear that. <laughs>
3: Absolutely. Is there a song that you just love more than the other songs that you play?
2: I, I've always liked doing No Time. It was our third or oh. fourth record with the Guess Who, and I'll tell you why. Before No Time, we had some big records like These Eyes and Laughing and Undone. She's Come Undone. Oh, I love that too but those were softer songs those were softer songs good records but softer songs when no time came out everything got a little bit bigger i think we started getting getting taken a bit more seriously by the underground press you know rolling stone and cream magazine and kind of those those publications were kind of finer than thou sometimes if you had hit singles once we had no time it was more of a rock and roll record it was a guitar record it was harder and i noticed the fan club got bigger the uh, venues we were playing got bigger the the band got accepted on a broader scale so no time always has a special special spot in my heart. That's very cool. And of it, course, These Eyes, because it was the first big gold record, you know.
3: Yes. Has anyone else uh, done covers on your songs?
2: Well, the same year, we had These Eyes, uh, Junior Walker and the All-Stars from put it out on Motown. And back in 69, uh, radio was still pretty segregated, so his version hit certain urban areas that ours didn't. So that was a great uh, that was a great coup the fact that Junior Walker, and he was already a huge star. Junior Walker was a big Motown artist. So, uh, Randy Bachman and I, who who co-wrote these eyes, we were thrilled when Junior did that. There've been other covers, um, but you know what? I've been uh, been very successful. My manager has been very successful placing placing my songs in movies. Ah. they've used a lot of the tunes in, in you know, in American Beauty, which won all the Oscars that year, best picture and best actor for Kevin Spacey. There's a great scene where Kevin Spacey gets into the car Lights up a joint and sticks a cassette machine in, sticks a cassette tape in, and it's American Woman. It's me singing American Woman, and he sings along with me for about two minutes. Oh, how cool. that, was, that was a great scene. There was another really funny scene in Super Bad, when Michael Cera is at the party and the bikers are gonna beat the hell out of the two of the, the, the two young guys and one of them says oh don't hurt him he's a singer and the bikers say okay well if you're a singer let's hear you sing something and he sings these eyes in front of these bikers it's very funny
3: that's cool that is They're, so you know, cool I've been lucky in the fact that uh they have used the songs in
2: a lot of pretty big films um there was another film uh jackie brown the quentin tarantino movie there's a scene where Robert De Niro is beating Bridget Fonda up, and through the entire scene, "Undone" is playing.
3: Wow!
2: So I mean, you know what? Like for me, as a movie, a movie buff and a, and a fan, you know, that went to the movies as a kid, it's always a thrill when when you you're sitting and the big screen is is all lit up, and then one of your songs is playing with the movie. It's always a thrill.
3: Absolutely. Uh, what what would you say when you think? If I ask you real quick. What comes to mind as the high point, the highlight for you in your career?
2: Uh, there have been a couple. I, I would say um, uh, getting the Order of Canada a couple of years ago. It's, that's kind of the same as being knighted in England. It's the highest honor that Canada gives uh, any one of its citizens. So I got the Order of Canada two years ago. Um, uh, in 1969, we played the Seattle Pop Festival for hmm. all three days and at that time and it was actually better than woodstock but nobody filmed it but it was oh my gosh that was really an unbelievable event and i was still only 21 and there we were with Bo diddley and, oh, wow. and tina turner and frank zappa and the mothers and alice cooper and the youngbloods and chicago and the birds and the doors and led zeppelin and <laughs> it wow. went on and on. It was tremendous. And also, um, the, big, the big concert in Toronto, about five or six years ago, when that SARS outbreak had everybody terrified, that was 600,000 people. So that, that concert, I think, is in the Guinness Book of Records, one of the highest paid... Uh, the highest number of people that ever paid to get into a concert that wasn't a free concert. Wow. So, I mean, that was, and, you know, playing with the Stones and ACDC and Rush and all those other people, that was, that, that was pretty terrific. So I've certainly had some highlights.
3: I can imagine. So you must have some stories to tell.
2: <laughs> oh, I mean, I met, you know, one of the nicest things about my long career is that I've met most of my heroes. I sat with Frank Zappa one night for a whole hour, just one-on-one, and we sat and talked. Bob Dylan, I sat one-on-one for a long time one Uh.
3: day
2: at a big party, and uh, I I toured with the Ringo Starr All-Star
3: Band for nine months. No way! Yeah, and in 2001, we went all over the world
2: for nine months, and that was a great band. It was uh, Ringo Starr and his son, Zach, on drums, and we also had Todd Rundgren and uh, Joe Walsh and Timothy Schmidt from the Eagles wow. and Dave Edmonds and uh, Nils Lofgren all in one band it was a tremendous nine months so, oh my
3: goodness I, yeah. uh,
2: I really do I have some great recollections
3: any, any books in the works
2: uh, well I, I do my I, you know people have asked me for years I, I don't want to really do a book because uh, too many people want the dirt you know and I don't want to go there but I do, I do a lot of blogs so I've, I've always said, you know, my book is already online. If you downloaded everything I blogged, it's about 1,200 pages. So <laughs> <laughs> my book just lives online. And I blog, you know, a couple, two, three times a week. So I'm in touch with the followers.
3: Interesting. You know who else does that weird Al Yankovic?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've been around for a long time now.
3: Yeah, absolutely
2: did a lot of those parody parody videos and they, and they got played like crazy on MTV.
3: He has a following that is so loyal. Oh yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. They, they they're like uh, stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of oh. which, has Burton Cummings had any stalkers? Not
2: not really. I mean, there's always a lot of nutcases when you're When you're a little bit accessible online, you have to worry a little bit. But uh, overall, no, I've been pretty good. Been pretty. uh...
3: That's because you haven't met me yet.
2: Well, you never see, you
3: never know what's coming around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Let me tell you, I am so looking forward to seeing you over at the Orleans. That is Burton Cummings, January 17th and 18th. And that's at 8 p.m. at the Orleans. And here's another thing. Um I do a column. I have Las Vegas Backstage Talk column in Casino Player and also in uh, uh, Gaming Today. And one of the things I must ask that is mandatory is do you gamble? Oh, I love slots. Oh, yeah?
2: I love the slots. I used to play roulette. Uh, I don't mind roulette because it's pure luck, but I can't play blackjack
3: anymore because I don't like the way people play. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. There's rules you have to follow. You have to hit your 16s. You can't,
2: you can't split uh, face cards. You have to watch the break cards from the dealer. I love blackjack if everybody plays properly, but I, I, I had to give up because I was playing with people that didn't know what the hell they were doing.
3: We should go and play. That's what I like what blackjack was... if if everybody plays right, but you know what? I'm I'm just as happy on the slot machines. Really? Because
2: I'll find a certain slot that, and I'll get the feeling that it's uh, you know that it's it's working for me. So I uh, I'll, I'll seek out a, and actually I've been to the New the 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 Orleans. And they have one of my favorite slot machines. I'm not going to say the name of it because right. everybody'll know where I am. But sure. I—they I, uh, have one of my favorite slots ever, ever at the Orleans. So I'll be—I'll uh, be doing a little gaming. Absolutely. That's
3: great. And I—I I keep my fingers crossed for you. Do you ever win? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you do?
2: Absolutely. i am Irish. i am of Irish descent. I carry that luck with me.
3: Wow. Good for you. You're one of the few, Burton Cummings. Uh, you're one of the few. And. The 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 other thing I I forgot to ask you, is there anybody that you are dying to work with that you've never worked with?
2: Oh, my goodness. That's a... Wow. I've met Paul McCartney a few times, but I've never really worked with him. I I would love to play piano behind him one time on a tour or just just for a night. He's... uh, He's a tremendous, tremendous, well, he's just like science fiction. He's still singing all those songs in the same keys, you know? (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you you who I worked with that was wonderful was um, about a year ago, <clears throat> we did the California State Fair together with Steve Miller.
0: Oh, he, yeah. He's one of my new heroes. Talk about a guy that has sustained. Yep. He's 71 years old, and he's out there
2: rocking as great as ever. And I saw 13, 14, 15-year-old kids at Steve Miller's show mouthing every word he's saying so that's my idea of a true star
3: I agree what's the age group of your audience the average age it's
2: huge It's, it's just the same thing when we're not in a bar, like, you know, in a casino where there's an age restriction, I see 14-year-olds, 13, 14, 15-year-olds. I'm on my third generation of followers now, I think.
3: Well, and do they know the words to oh, you, song? absolutely. They yeah, do. Absolutely, because
2: I'll tell you another thing. Classic rock radio has been very good to me, too.
3: That's incredible.
2: We get a lot of airplay. You know those songs: "These Eyes," "Laughing," "No Sugar Tonight,"
3: "Hand Me Down World," "Share the Land," uh, "Clap for the Wolfman" was another one. I I had that in my jukebox. <laughs> big record, you know, big
2: record. So I've uh, there are a lot of songs that are kind of in uh, kind of in people's memories, and and we we do every one of them when we play live. You do? Yeah, absolutely. We do "Hand Me Down World" and. Share the Land, and Bus Rider, and, and Clap for the Wolfman, and, and uh, No Sugar Tonight, and These Eyes, and Laughing, and Undone, and No to Yeah, we do them all.
3: Oh, my God. I have to go now. I always it's say true. I'm going to be there, but I don't... If you, if you come down, come back and say hello, and I'll, I'll remember that we did this interview. I absolutely will. Are you and kidding we'll me? Sure. We'll get a picture
2: together, and I'll put it on my website.
3: Oh, you're adorable. Thank you so much. This has been such a thrill for me.
2: Oh, thank you very much. Very kind words. You made my day now. You know I'm... I'll be all uh, walking around with smiles. Oh, I Bye. doubt
3: it, but thank you. I really appreciate it, and I'm so looking forward to seeing seeing you next weekend and is there a preferable day that you that I should uh, put in for I don't know
2: either either night will be good either- Night will be good. Okay, you Closing got, night is always closing night is always a bit more
3: special. So I will be there closing night. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I will see you next week. Burton Cummings over at the Orleans January 17th and 18th, 8 p.m. You definitely do not want to miss him. Oh, Thanks right. again, thank Burton. You. I will see you next week.
2: Thanks very much.
3: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back comedian tom cotter
0: we'll be right back and you are listening to las vegas backstage talk with your host comedian michelle lafong plus we are streaming live at lasvegasbackstagetalk.com every thursday 6 to 7 p.m pacific standard time and all previous shows are archived at lasvegasbackstagetalk.com please visit our website
4: Are you or someone you know struggling to break an addiction to alcohol or pain medications like Lortab? Does the thought of overcoming the addiction seem impossible? Get back on the road to life recovery and call Dr. Jeffrey L. Brown at Optimal Health Primary Care. Become a new you in as little as two months. Mention Las Vegas Backstage Talk to receive a free consultation today at 702-871-7004. That's 702-871-7004 at Optimal Health Primary Care. Our goal is to help you feel your optimal best. How would you like to create a whole new you? That's right, that person you see in the mirror every day. Well, you can change how you look and how you feel about yourself by calling HairWorks by Janice Fusaro. Janice Fusaro is the Maserati of hair extensions with over 20 years of experience and is the best of Las Vegas, specializing in great lengths and is certified by all the top hair extension companies. And feathers are available. Whether it's making your hair longer or thicker, Janice can make your dreams come true. Go to longhairextensions.net and see the before and afters. And then pick up the phone and make an appointment for your free, that's right, free consultation. Call 702-326-6564. It's a whole new you with HairWorks by Janice Passaro. Welcome back,
0: and here's more of Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong.
3: And another thanks to Burton Cummings and comedian Tom Cotter is returning on Las Vegas Backstage Talk. Here he is.
4: How
3: you doing? I'm doing good. We missed you here in Vegas, Tom Cotter.
1: Well, I'm back. I'm like herpes. I'm coming back.
3: You're... (laughs) Somehow, I don't think that's... uh... The correct analogy
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so so here you are you are going to be over at uh, the sun coast have you ever played the sun coast uh, before
1: i never had never stepped foot in the sun coast before but really Lord, i hear it's more of a locals place than a uh, than a tourist place
3: well yeah i that that is true i i uh, Open for Bobby Rydell in that room. It's a great, intimate room. It, it's uh, it's beautiful. You'll love it.
1: Good. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to get back there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, what has Tom Cotter been up to since your uh, second place win, which you got robbed, by the way? You got robbed. You should have been say that, an- but You've also
1: had the Olatte Dogs on your show before, and I know you didn't say that to them. <laughs>
3: Because they didn't get robbed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well played. Uh, yeah, I uh, I didn't get it. Who knows? You know? No, you really did get robbed, Bye. though.
3: You did because, and and this is not nothing against the dogs. I mean, I I just don't think that you can put a dog act in the same category as a comedian. And I, I just think kind of like I miss Star Search where they had comic against comic as opposed to America's Got Talent that puts a dog act up against a comic, up against uh, Cirque du Soleil. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, it's a variety show, and so they, they do that. By the way, they bring bringing the last comic standing back, uh, I hear, next year.
3: Really? Who's next behind year. that?
1: Is it... uh, the I know Wanda Sykes Hall, Wanda Sykes now, uh, is one of the producers of it. Really? Yeah. So that'll be comic versus comic, and that'll be good, uh, as to your point.
3: Oh, my but, goodness. And and it's Last Comic Standing the same way that they did it before?
1: I, I don't know. I don't know what the incarnation is going to be, but they are going to call it Last Comic Standing, and I know Wanda Sykes is at least going to produce it. I don't know if she's going to host it. And I'm looking forward to see what they do with that.
3: Wow. I wonder if Barry Katz is going to be involved in that.
1: Well, you know, he and Jay Moore created it. So, you know, they're at least getting a created by credit and they're getting paid on the back end. I just don't know if they're hands on. Peter Engel was the other producer of that show back in the day. And I don't know if he's involved this time either.
3: How interesting. Absolutely. So would you be able, would Tom Cotter be able to now go on Last Comic Standing too? Uh,
1: I don't know. You know. I don't know if I'd want to, just because, uh, you know, I, I finished second on America's Got Talent. I don't know if I finished further than that on on Last Comic of Standing, if that would help or not. Um, and my experience on that show was not—I just didn't like that
3: show. I did season two. Oh, did you? I felt like it was a lot more contrived,
1: and they, they didn't do it to me. Um, but they did put the sound of crickets behind comedians when they were performing on some of the episodes, and I thought that was kind of mean and harsh, because clearly there were no crickets in the comedy club that they were (laughs) performing in, and they they did their best to, like, humiliate a lot of these comics and just go for the ratings, and so I I just had a bad taste in my mouth from that.
3: Wow. I'm a little surprised, because somehow... You don't have to go way out of your way to humiliate comedians. I, you know, and comedy is one of those dangerous things that, right. you know, you don't need to create that kind of situation. I mean, it's, it's crazy, and I'm surprised that they did that. I don't recall that at all.
1: They did, and they also had the house, and in the house they wanted drama, so they wanted the comics to badmouth each other. Maybe they had them go in a booth and say evil things about each other.
3: Not for nothing, well, Tom. The last, well, <laughs> last client
1: standing, because a lot of the comics that made it into the house were clients of Barry Katz and Peter Engels.
3: So oh. So
1: kind of a scam from the get-go.
3: Oh. So uh, you, know, you know what's really interesting? You know, the bad-mouthing part, when you said the bad-mouthing, you've got to admit, Tom, you don't have to script that out. I mean, comics are, are the worst, I find. Oh, yeah. They are the They're worst. Backstabbers. Yes, you don't and you don't have to like script them at all. It's kind of like in the music world. I don't find that uh, musicians and uh, singers do that to each other, but comics, for some reason, uh, it's a different breed. What do you make of that?
1: I don't know, but it's so true. You're absolutely right, Michelle. Perfect case in point: Dane Cook. Who is a Boston? I started in Boston with Dane years and years ago. He actually started after me. And you know, here's a kid who went on to be a big star, and all the comics were backstabbing him and calling him names, and everything else. And how much of that was just sour grapes because Dane was, you know, making a name for himself? Yes. When when Dice Clay became a huge guy and started doing auditoriums and and arenas, all the comics badmouthed him. How much of that is just jealousy and? So I don't know. I, we are a unique breed. Comics are the tears of a clown. We're very disturbed people. So maybe <laughs> we just, that's just another outlet for us is backstabbing other comics.
3: So would it surprise you, Tom, if I told you that I've never heard a bad word regarding you?
1: Well, you don't. Clearly, you're not listening to the right channels. <laughs> They're out there.
3: So do you really believe that?
1: Uh, no, you know what? When I did the show, I expected that. I really expected the comics to go out and just verbally defecate all over me uh, when I was doing America's Got Talent. But I was blown away by the support I got. You know, guys I hardly even know. I don't know Sarah Silverman that well. I met her once. She tweeted for me, and Scaffigan tweeted for me, and, and Louis C.K. And these guys, they didn't owe me that. They didn't need to do that. But they have millions of followers, and they're trying to get me votes on the show because it's all by votes. And I think, looking at it pragmatically, I think they just didn't want the comedian to lose to the guy getting shot out of the cannon. It wasn't Tom Cotter; it was just the comedian. And I was waving their banner. I see. They didn't want the comedian to get humiliated, so that's why there was less backstabbing in that venue.
3: You know, that's very that's a very interesting theory. I have a different theory, uh, but I think that yours is nonetheless valid. Uh, I I also think that you're a comics comic in terms of you are everything with your one-liners and the way you write your comedy. You you really are the epitome of what comics want to be. I mean, you really, you are that goal, that one-liner, um, smart, type of uh, comic, as opposed to Carrot Top, who, you know, people may like him, but the comics have ripped him apart from day one, or any prop comic, even Jeff Dunham, who isn't even a prop comic, he's a a skilled ventriloquist, anybody who does anything other than stand-up comic, uh, like, you're a purist, as other comics would say, Jay Leno, for example. You know he always you know tore apart comics that didn't do what you're doing. What do you think of that?
1: Well, I think first of all, I appreciate the kind words that was very nice. but uh I think I started in Boston in Boston, they were all purists. they were these snobs, kind of comedy snobs, and their thought was it should just be your wit, the microphone, and the audience, and nothing else so they would they would you know.
3: That's correct. As, as a matter of fact, you're right. That is Boston. Um, yeah. Yes.
1: But they but, a little. But anybody, we had, they, they hated ventriloquists. They hated music acts. They hated comedy teams. They hated anybody, prop acts, anybody yes. that did anything other than that. Yes. That's kind of the, what I grew up in. But I, I don't feel that way. I feel that uh, as long as you're putting asses in seats and making people laugh and giving the audience what they want, that's your job. So. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I don't aspire to that. That or, or prescribe to that theory. And I don't think people should be snobs like that. I think you give the people what they want and uh, let the audience decide what's what's good and what's not. Now, I just happen to be a purist because maybe I don't have the skills to be a ventriloquist musical <laughs> no talent, and I don't have a puppet and I don't have prop skills. So that's the reason I'm the purist. But I certainly don't besmirch anybody that that does that. I think Carrot Top is the best at what he does. I think Jeff yes. Dunham is arguably the best at what he
3: does. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> <tell you everything. laughs> Don't forget I do that as well. Just letting you know. Yeah, of course you. Yeah. yeah,
1: but I'm saying that look at big games and they, they uh they put asses in seats because people want to see them and they want to see you and that's I I, I think it's great. I think they should, uh, like everybody, let the audience decide. Don't be a snob. That's my thing.
3: No, I I agree. And I I totally don't understand that snobbery, frankly, because there's a lot of skill in in those other things. I mean, being a ventriloquist is very difficult because not only do you have to have the material and the jokes, but you have to have all the technique as well. And so, yeah, and so it's not what you do, it's how you do it anyway, you know, and uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't understand that at all. But I do feel that uh, Tom Cotter, uh, you are not getting the same kind of um, jealousy. Uh, I think comics are happy for you to represent them and feel that you deserve your success. I might be wrong, but that's or what. Maybe I they f-
1: just feel bad for me because I know I've been swinging away for so long, and it was more of a sympathy thing.
3: Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Haven't we all been swinging so long? I mean... We have. You know, so many... I, that's the thing, is that comics, I think, instead of being happy when someone they know, they're almost rooting for someone they don't know, as opposed to someone that they do know. What do you think?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's true. I think comics are... Yeah. Get back to the backstabbing thing. If you walked into a club in Manhattan, and you know this, if someone's having a great set the other comics will just poo-poo it. But if someone's dying a horrible death, all the comics come flooding into the room because they want to watch that comic <laughs> die a horrible death. <laughs> I do it. I look there's nothing great, because I like to see how they handle it, you know? I mean, <laughs> are they gracefully going up in flames or are they just, is it just a train wreck? And, You know, so it's like you pull over to see an accident.
3: Oh God, that's so funny! And it's not like they're in the room trying to help you. You know, no. you know, it's not like the they're laughing at
1: their discomfort.
3: That's that's absolutely <laughs> correct. That is just the funniest thing. So speaking of dying on stage. If you have a set where you don't, you're not particularly happy about it. Does Tom Cotter then not wear that shirt again?
1: No, I, I don't have any of these, uh, and I'm not like one of these fans that watches a football game and wore a certain jersey and then you know can't watch it the team lose. I, I don't do that. I don't. There's no. Uh, I, I brush it off. I'm Teflon now. I've been at this for a quarter of a century, Michelle So now if. If a, if a gig goes poorly, I just brush it off and I got to get back in the saddle for the next one. Last night I did a corporate gig in Manhattan and they paid these two girls who are on Saturday Night Live and myself to come and tell jokes. And they paid us pretty well and they maybe 10% of the crowd was even paying attention. The rest of the people were all milling around having a conversation. And then the guy gets up and gives these awards out and no one's listening. No one cares that they're getting awards. And then they bring us up die our horrible deaths, and we're looking at each other like we're about to be in a firing squad. And all we're thinking is, "Will the check clear?" Exactly. It's a horrible setup, you
3: know. You know, it's an amazing thing because uh, who was I talking to? Just, I mean, I think it was Stephen Wright uh, last week, telling me almost the same exact story. You know, uh, and I couldn't get over that this still happens on that level when they're dishing out and shelling out that kind of money to uh, uh, someone like Stephen Wright. Or somebody else. Oh, no, it was Dana Carvey who told me that. That's what I, I couldn't get over that. Like, why would they they didn't pay for lighting? You know, he was in the dark. It, just a hell gig. You know,
1: when you're talking about Stephen Wright and Dana Carvey, you're talking about deep pockets. So they're paying them a lot of money. To ignore them. You exactly. Know, who wins in that scenario? Last night, who won? The two girls from Saturday night Live walked out feeling crappy about themselves. I did not. I felt dirty after the show. Right. All I could do is focus on the 10% of the crowd that was actually paying attention. And you play to those people and let the rest of the people do their networking, which is what they were doing in the background. But it, who wins? Why do you set it up like that? You don't look good because you hired comedians and put them in a bad situation. Your clients, you know, they, they're not winning because they're not getting a good show. And the comedians certainly aren't winning. We're winning financially, but we're not winning because we don't feel that well about our show. But they do it all the time, Michelle. It's horrible.
3: I agree. It's just... Unbelievable. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with much more Tom Cotter. Don't go anywhere, people.
0: We'll be right back. And you are listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong. Plus, we are streaming live at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com every Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And all previous shows are archived at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com.
4: Please visit our website when you walk into dr gary lee's horizon ridge wellness clinic in henderson you'll love the design created as an elegant refuge of beauty peacefulness and tranquility if cosmetic surgery is not right for you then consider what dr lee and the horizon ridge wellness center can do for you dr lee specializes in botox cosmetic wrinkle filters, spider veins, laser skin technology, anti-aging wellness, and medical weight loss. At Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic, we help you look your best by giving you the inner confidence and strength to feel your best and to project this to the world. Call today 702-938-0190 or on the web at www.hrwellness.net the horizon ridge wellness clinic
0: welcome back and here's more of las vegas backstage talk with your host comedian michelle
1: lafong
3: and we are back with comedian tom cotter and uh when you were on america's got talent tom did you have to cancel your gigs as you were going along because you didn't know if you were going to make it from week to week? How did that work?
1: I did, and you know what? It's, it's a winner take all competition, so you don't get paid. Uh, I'm Screen Actors Guild and AFTRA and all those things, and we asked them, and they said they can do nothing for us because technically you are a contestant on a game show. And so. You know, you're doing these gigs. Now, luckily, they were mostly midweek, Wednesdays and Thursdays. But I did have to cancel a couple of colleges and some other ones that were decent-paying gigs. But, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is worth that risk. You you definitely want to be in front of all those eyeballs and primetime network television. So you're willing to cancel the other stuff. Unfortunately, it's a means to an end.
3: Yes, I I agree. So what can you tell... Anybody who is thinking of going on America's Got Talent, being that you saw the inside uh, stuff that goes on there, and let's face it, this stuff that goes on, what can you advise to give uh, the contestants somewhat of an edge? Well,
1: what, what I... I always tell people when they ask me this, is you have 90 seconds. That's all they give you. You know, it seems longer on television, but it's 90 seconds. No matter if you're a singer or a juggler or a comedian or a ventriloquist, doesn't matter what you do, you have 90 seconds. Use the 90 seconds to the best of your ability. And this year, it killed me. There was another comic uh, who I will not mention, who's a buddy of mine, and he went up, and he only had 90 seconds, and he told maybe two jokes and then he just it, it didn't use the airtime. There was dead air, and if you only have ninety seconds, you got to bring it. And uh, like if, the, if it's a musical act, you always they take a little chunk of a song with a huge crescendo, so that the audience gets all overwhelmed with it. And if you're a comedian, you just got to leave them laughing at the end and bang them a bunch of one-liners and punchlines in there. And but some comics don't, and some singers don't, and I just uh, I don't get it. If you only have ninety seconds, use the ninety seconds. That's first and foremost. And then the second thing is they want to they want to do a backstory on you. They always do a little video package before you perform and after you perform. And so you just have to have kind of an interesting backstory.
3: Ah, and if you don't, you better think of one.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you want to make yourself interesting to the home audience. I wasn't that interesting. I just happened to be married to a comedian, and we have small kids, and I was a dad, and they kind of latched onto that.
3: That's interesting. Uh, That's interesting.
1: some people, it is.
3: No, it really is. As a matter of fact, I'm glad you brought that up, because your wife does comedy, and let's plug her. What's her name?
1: Her name is Carrie Louise, and she is funnier than I am, and we have been married for 13 years, and she's, uh, you know, holding down the fort here with the kids, and telling jokes and teaching a comedy class and doing all these things, and she's multitasking. It's pretty impressive.
3: Wow. So, okay. That's very, see, that's why you're successfully married. She's funnier than me. See, she's got you trained, boy. That's good.
1: She did. She actually did go further than I did on Last Comic Standing. And don't think for a minute I don't hear about that every time we have an argument.
3: (laughs) You're lucky that's the only time you hear about it. (laughs) So, okay. So, how do you, watching her... And we were talking about how comics are in the industry to each other. How do you see a difference between how people treat her versus how tr- people treat you in the business?
1: Well, I mean, there's the, uh, it, 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 no matter what industry you're in, there's sexism, and it can work to a woman's advantage or disadvantage. And uh, I used to poo poo it when Carrie would say that. It's not a level playing field, but now having been so close to her, and you've probably experienced this as well. I mean, some of the guys just want to get in your pants, and that's the way it is in any industry if you're, you know, an attractive woman. And the the other thing is that it's harder for Carrie to be on stage and talk about adult topics. Like I can get on stage and talk about my crotch, and people laugh. But when a woman does it, you can actually hear people's sphincters slamming shut with discomfort, and it, like the, there's this. Uh, weed blowing through the crowd people get all uptight because uh, a if you're a good looking woman that's intimidating there's some men in the crowd and b if you're funny they, it, there's this whole male testosterone thing that comes into play and they don't really want to uh, they don't know how to handle it
4: mm-hmm.
1: so i just don't think now the, the positive side of that is there are a lot less female comedians than there are male comics so if there's a audition for a white male comic i'm going against you know Thousands of other guys, but if there's an audition for a funny female stand-up, Carrie's got a much smaller, she's a bigger fish in a smaller pond, and she's got a much smaller pool from which to draw, so she has a much better chance of landing it.
3: That's very interesting that you think that... there's less competition with the women. Do you think that perhaps it's that the other women aren't even getting the information to get to the audition?
1: No, I just think it's, well, first of all, it's a numbers game. I just think, unfortunately, comedy is a male-dominated, and you must have experienced this as well, but it's a male-dominated field. And I know female bookers and managers of comedy clubs that still only book males. Yes, would think that that's absolutely true. Because they're female, but they that's uh, how prevalent
3: sexism is in our industry. That's uh, true. Know, uh, yeah, I mean, I did a,
1: a, a show recently, there were five males on the show, five males, not one female. And you can't tell me that there wasn't a female comic available to the show. How about just giving a little different... Uh, you know, you shouldn't have all white, short white guys on a show. You right. should have an African American or a Hispanic or, you know, try a lesbian or a gay. Just you know, someone mix it up a little bit. Right. Um, uh, everyone's uh, so afraid to do that in a lot of these... Clubs and a
3: lot of these venues. I I couldn't agree with you more on that. So, ha, do you find that like super frustrating that you know it's happening to your wife in comedy? Do you do you get in the middle of it? Do you bring her on gigs with you? What do you do?
1: Yeah, we're working at Levity Live here in Rockland County, uh, New York, at the end of the month, which is not far from our home outside of New York City, and we're working together, and that's just one of those joyous weekends. We get to hang out together. A lot of guys go to work to get away from their wives, but I go to work with my wife when I can because I, I'm i just on the road a lot, and I don't get to see her that often. So if I can get paid and hang out with my wife and have a little date night with her, then that's a bonus. And, yes, it is frustrating to see how – uh the industry mistreats, because I, I, I already know about it. I've been at it for 25 years. I know that I've been kind of mistreated over the years, and I know a lot of my friends have as well. But when it's someone you really love and really care about, and you feel that there's been an injustice, and it's it's a common occurrence, then, yeah, that aches a little bit. It, it makes you feel bad.
3: Absolutely. I'd like to see Tom Cotter as a judge on uh, one of these reality shows like Last Comic Standing. I think you'd be an outstanding judge.
1: Well, you have impeccable taste. And, uh, <laughs> I would love to do it at some point if they would let me. I've been in so many comedy competitions in the quarter of a century that i am been at this that I kind of know um, the inner workings of it from both sides, from the uh, the producers and the judges' side and from the act side, the comedian side. So, uh, you know, I I would... I think I'd be a good
3: judge. I I really would love to see that. It, it, we're almost out of time. I wanted to ask you if you have what is the beat all end all for Tom Cotter in comedy? What What would you really like to do?
1: Well, you know, we just uh, Fremantle is the company behind America's Got Talent, and they just partnered up with us to shoot a pilot in November uh, for NBC, and you know, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, it's then delivered to NBC, and then they're going to let us know apparently by May or something. Um, I don't know how long they're going to make us hold out, but uh, that would be a means to an end, in that it would put asses in seats. Pardon my language. Yes. I want. I always want to perform. You know, and it's just uh, what I always want to do. And if TV exposure uh, lets me work in better venues and in. Bigger rooms and and nicer audiences, then then that's uh, that, that that's something I'm willing to do. It was never really a dream of mine. I always wanted to be a comedian, but TV is uh, it, it. They're they're not mutually exclusive you know to do one it just makes you more desirable to the other clubs and that's why I, I want to do TV so that I can continue doing my live shows
3: absolutely can you give us a quick synopsis of what that show is on NBC if it well, if it, it doesn't make it it started
1: as it's Kids in America and then they realized that abbreviated came to, out to KIA which is Killed in Action so they changed that, that I'm not lying about that <laughs> so they changed the name to America's Cutest Kids that's a working title which makes me vomit in my mouth a little bit every time i hear it and uh it's hidden cameras pranks um w- with little kids and then there's a round table kind of kids say the darndest thing part of it that's my part and i do the voiceover for the other sections and that's much like the at and commercial it's an adult sitting down with kids talking to them as if they're uh, adults you know not talking down to them as children and uh seeing what comes out of their mouths and just some incredibly funny things come out of their mouths Uh, As you know, and this goes all the way back to Art Linkletter, Bill Cosby, and Jimmy Kimmel's been doing it as of late, and then the AT&T commercials. So there's kind of a a desire for that right now. And so those are the three components, and then they add uh, home videos or Internet videos of kids that are very funny or kids with incredible talents. And we sew it all into a show and see if NBC bites.
3: Fantastic. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. And you have to catch Tom Cotter over at the Sun Coast, and that is on uh, the 18th and 19th of January at 7:30 p.m. Thank you so much, Tom. As usual, it's been great, and I love talking to you. Don't hang up, okay? Lafong, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> it just seems like forever. And that's it for this week. And we'll see you next time.
0: You have been listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle Lafon where you can listen in on those inside conversations and backstage stories with the stars that make Las Vegas the entertainment capital of the world. We are streaming live every Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on lasvegasbackstagetalk.com. Audio of past shows are archived on lasvegasbackstagetalk.com. Videos of backstage interviews are also on lasvegasbackstagetalk.com. And we are available on
1: iTunes. Thank you for listening to Las Vegas Backstage. I'm